I'm Aniket Borwankar. So I work as a development manager for composite strengthening systems with Simpson Strongtie. Welcome to the Structural Engineering Podcast. This week we're talking with Aniket Borwankar, a project manager at Simpson Strongtie. Aniket's job at Simpson is to help them test and develop new products and uses for FRP. <clears throat> That's fiber reinforced polymer. Aniket did a master's at Vanderbilt where he researched FRP bonding. That's how he got his background in this. After school, he went out in the field to do traditional structural design for many years and then had the opportunity to join Simpson and help work on this cool product line. I've gotten to use FRP a few times and it still has this feel of a magic ultra strong material to me. With Anakit, we learn it's not exactly magic, but there are a ton of uses and it's a great resource to understand for when you're in a tight spot or just working on a retrofit project. So please enjoy our conversation with Anakit. If you have any questions, Simpson is great about helping designers understand and use their products. I ask the field guys all sorts of ridiculous questions and they don't seem to mind that much. So feel free to reach out to them. Okay, so we talked very briefly before, and I kept using the word fiberglass, and you said, well, it's not its not really fiberglass, right? There's more to it. So yeah. can you tell us, like, wh what is FRP, and maybe, like, why is calling it fiberglass not quite correct? So FRP is basically a combination of any kind of fibers and an epoxy. So typically, the most commonly used structural strengthening fibers are either carbon or glass. So FRP is a composite, so your fibers provide the tensile strength, in, in the composite and your epoxy makes that into a composite and as well as transfers forces from your fibers back to the substrate. Uh, also, this is an externally used reinforcing, so your epoxy uh, protects your fibers from any, any kind of damage. So that, that is FRP in general. Now, when, when you mean fiberglass, it's typically what it, it means is glass fiber reinforced composites, uh, but then you also have carbon fibers, which is used quite a lot in structural strengthening type applications. So I generalize it as FRP and then fiberglass is part of uh, FRP. Could you kind of uh, tell us you know, a little bit about the type of fiberglass products or, or FRP products, let's say, that are out there for reinforcing specifically concrete? Yeah, yeah, so uh, the main uh, for uh, reinforcing concrete, we, we use a lot of carbon fiber-based composites. So this is either uh, unidirectional or bidirectional carbon fibers saturated with an epoxy resin, which are externally applied on your concrete substrate. Uh, we use glass fibers too. Uh, glass fibers are less strong than carbon fibers. So typically concrete needs more strengthening. You end up using more carbon versus glass. Uh, but if it's like a protection-based application, a lot of DOTs wrap their bridge columns with glass fiber so that it protects these columns from any corrosion or damage. Uh, also, glass gives a lot of ductility. So when you're looking for just ductility and less strength, that's where uh, glass fibers can be used quite a bit. Um, also, something similar is also FRCM. So it's a fabric reinforced cementitious matrix. It's also a composite where instead of just fibers and an epoxy, now you have a carbon fiber mesh and a cementitious uh, matrix. So it's similar type of strengthening, but has different materials that, that you can use to strengthen concrete as well. So these are primary uh, externally applied reinforcing composites that, that we use for strengthening concrete applications. 
across all these products, what is the sort of range of strength that we're looking at? Like a, a glass fiber, how strong is that? Is it compared to any material that we're sort of used to? Yeah, so I mean, if you're looking at the composite properties of carbon versus glass, your carbon fibers typically is like about 128,000 uh, KSI tensile strength uh, <laughs> versus glass is around 56,000. So, um, I mean, carbon is maybe twice as strong as glass would be. Um, so th those would be your typical range. Now you do have laminates, like again, they're pre-cured carbon fiber strips that are about 180 KSI. So they, they are a little stronger than field saturated carbon fiber fabrics. So this is your range between uh, glass fiber versus carbon fiber. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some research going on. Uh, they used aramid fibers before, but they don't use as much of aramid fibers right now. Uh, there's some research going out for basalt fibers. So uh, that's another upcoming area of using basalt fibers for strengthening as well. This might be kind of silly or I'm looking at it wrong, but when we're when we're looking at fibers, really it is only a tensile capacity that any of these things have, right? Like any shear we're adding to a wall, we are just adding tension in the right plane. This is purely a tensile reinforcement. You're yeah. correct. Okay. So that, that's what, so it's like externally applied steel where you're adding more tensile capacity to your member. Mm -hmm. How long has FRPs been around in the commercial realm. I, I understand they've probably been in research probably for maybe a little bit longer, but commercially, how long have they been available? Uh, I would I would even go back to maybe early 90s that FRP started getting more commercialized. Uh, uh, so I would say maybe 25 years plus, we have a good history of composites being used in construction or uh, retrofit of structures. Um, it's becoming more and more common now, like with ACI coming up with good design guides and you're evaluating agencies, ICC and all coming up with good testing criteria. So it's it's becoming more mainstream for sure at, at this point. Since you mentioned ACI, you know, where does fiberglass, FRP, carbon, where does that all fall in as far as ACI sees it currently? Is there a section in our typical ACI 318 that references um, these products? ACI has a design guide, which is 440.2, uh, that is for strengthening of uh, structures, uh, concrete structures with uh, externally, uh, externally applied FRP, uh, and 440.7 is for masonry structures. Mm -hmm. So ACI 354 basically refers to FRP as an externally applied strengthening material, but it's still not part of uh, building code. So I know CBC now has FRP as part of it that refers to FRP design guides, so it's becoming more and more mainstream, but the main uh, guides that we use for design are ACI 440 for concrete and 440.7 for masonry. Okay. Um, so what, what I, I guess, to kind of show the or discuss the whole range, what are the different forms of FRP that, that you can kind of readily you know, get knowing that there's different types of maybe weave patterns or, or strengths as well? So the, the most readily available uh, fabrics uh, come in rolls. So these are typically rolls that are either 25 inch wide or 50 inch wide or 12 inch wide rolls um, that are basically dry fiber uh, fabrics that you would saturate with an epoxy. Uh, these come in either unidirectional or bidirectional weaves. So unidirectional is basically adding strength in one direction like what you would have your steel uh, there, uh, bidirectional. Again, you have multiple weaves in bi-directional. One is like a 45, 45 degree. Uh, we use that a lot for shear transfer. 
So if you're transferring shear between your diaphragm to a concrete wall, that would be another 45, 45 degree weave. Or if you're trying to transfer shear between double T's on a roof uh, structure or a floor structure. So that's, a, that's another area or another type of FRP uh, weave. Um, also, we have pre-cured laminates. So um, your regular FRP is uh, something that you saturate with an epoxy on the job site, whereas pre-cured laminates are something that are already saturated in the factory. So these come in rolls, pre-saturated carbon laminates, and then you just supply it with an epoxy paste on your concrete substrate. When you go a little bit to the FRCM for the grids, again, you have a unidirectional grid there and a bidirectional, just like what you would have for your typical FRP weave. So yeah. those would be the variations that you would get with respect to readily available products. So I'm kind of jumping back, actually, since we already talked about strength, but something you just mentioned made me think about it. The epoxy that we're using, um, you know, that obviously, like you said, has to transfer the force you know, from the member being reinforced to the fiber, is is that always going to be stronger? Is the epoxy that you have just so much stronger than the fiber or the carbon fiber that it's, it's not the, what will fail? Yeah, so you would typically, you don't want a failure in your epoxy. You would always want a failure in your substrate. So if it's uh, masonry or concrete, your bond has to be stronger than the substrate itself. So even when we are doing all the testing, what we are looking for is you need to pull some kind of concrete out when your FRP delaminates. Likewise, in a masonry structure, you want your part of your wall or the substrate to, to come out and you just don't want a failure at the bond. So your epoxy bond is much stronger than the substrate itself. So that should be your failure mechanism when, when these products delaminate and fail. Okay. On that kind of, you know, we tend to think of structural products we use as really durable to the environment, especially concrete, right? Mm -hmm. uh, is fiberglass able to match your FRP, the durability, and especially the lifespan of a concrete structure? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a good question. So we've, um, so the earliest fiberglass jackets that we've installed uh, in the Bay uh, on the East Coast uh, were probably in the 80s, early 80s, and in the Chepasek Bay Bridge, I think on the East Coast, so those uh, fiberglass jackets are still existing right now. Uh, we have some jackets that were ins installed in northern Canada in icy waters that about 40 years ago that are still uh, existing right now. So it has a long, long history of uh, durability. Uh, also, uh, ICC ES AC125, which uh, has the testing methodology for these, uh, these composite uh, systems, also has durability testing. So it has to undergo a bunch of durability testing, freeze thaw, salt water, uh, you know, exposure to uh, different elements. So uh, we undergo those type of testings. I think they require 3000 hour, then Caltrans has 10,000 hour requirements. So it undergoes substantial amount of durability testing, just like your typical structural products would. So uh, in addition to that, there are also uh, reduction factors in the design. So if you're in an exterior environment, you have a reduction factor. Then if you are in an aggressive environment like a wastewater treatment plant or something, then you have a further reduction that you take from your material properties. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we take that into account when we are designing or testing products. So we, we've kind of talked about using FRP to reinforce existing conditions. Um, are they always designed for, you know, are, is currently the design methodology or the most, most of the use for existing conditions? Um, and if so, do you see a future where it could be part of the concrete design in any sort of specific application? 
so you're right. I mean, currently these products are mainly used in existing uh, retrofits, uh, retrofit type structures. I mean, uh, the, the benefit or the reason why it's used in existing structures is obviously uh, it saves a lot of space. You're not adding a lot of weight to your structure. If you're trying to retrofit with typically adding more concrete or more steel, you're adding more mass. Typically in a seismic retrofit, your loads go up as you add more mass. So it has inherently has benefits in an existing uh, structure type situation. In new structures, we uh, we use a lot of FRP for uh, construction defects. So um, if you miss a rebar, you hit a rebar. I mean, we recently did a project where the column ties were not spaced correctly, so you can go back and correct it. Uh, also, if your concrete strength is low as compared to what you designed for, you can go back and strengthen it with FRP. So those are pretty much the new construction type projects we've done. We are also looking at one of one project which came to us was like a houseboat. They were constructing new houseboats and they wanted to find a way to lighten the concrete element, the hull element of the lifeboat. So we designed it with like six inch concrete walls with some FRP strengthening on that just to minimize the weight of concrete on, on the houseboat. So the, I mean, I, I see a future where it could be used more. Uh, I know FRP bars are now just got approved in using for new masonry construction. So the way things are changing, uh, hopefully someday it will be used in some limited capacity in, in new construction as well. So with potentially coming in reinforcing, um, you know, in the construction phase, how does FRP reinforcing effect maybe the the ductility requirements of let's say a special concrete shear wall yeah so uh, frp has shown to improve ductility in in uh, in concrete uh, shear wall type applications in fact uh, we recently did some full scale testing for concrete shear walls and we did uh, a control specimen then we just did with frp on one face then we did with frp and FRP anchors, and that's something that we've not spoken about, but these are FRP embedded anchors on the ends of the shear wall. Um, and then we did uh, more tests with FRP anchors along the length of the shear wall. And what we saw is that if you add anchors along the length of the shear wall, it actually adds two or uh, three more load cycles uh, at a, at high uh, at basically higher cyclic load. So. You get a lot more ductility in your shear wall and the conceptually if you think of it like once your concrete starts cracking right in a seismic event your concrete starts cracking if you just strengthen it with frp your frp kind of locally debonds and then once your frp debonds it just keeps debonding along the length of the wall so if you add anchors then that anchors either prevent or uh, re reduce the debonding or delay the debonding at that location and so your wall can basically take additional load cycles. So there are ways that you can anchor the FRP to in, improve the or increase the ductility that you provide with uh, strengthening of FRP. I think I've seen these anchors in the catalog, but let me describe it. Tell me if this is the correct thing where you are actually drilling into the concrete wall and putting in epoxy and fiber and then like filling that it's sort of like a plug and that weaves into the rest of the structure is that is that kind of right that's an accurate description so we we have two types of anchors so one is where you put an epoxy and then you put the fibers and you splay the fibers on the fabric like you mentioned 
the other one we also have like a pre-cured anchor so just where your a part of the anchor that goes into the concrete is already factory saturated and so it, it acts more like a threaded rod right so where you put an epoxy and then you just put the pre-cured part of the anchor into the concrete and then you splay the fibers again on top of your concrete so that just kind of is easier to install because everyone's used to installing threaded rod type applications so it, it's a similar type of installation yeah but that's essentially what what an frp anchor is Okay. So one thing I've heard before, and I'm, I'm curious um, on this, is that there may be some concerns with FRP when it comes to a fire condition um, and how maybe it acts during a fire event. Could you could you elaborate, I guess, on that or how, you know, what the testing has been? Yeah. So the concerns are pretty genuine. So FRP, uh, like I mentioned, is a combination of an epoxy and uh, fibers, right? Every epoxy has a glass transition temperature above which the epoxy is going to soften and eventually melt, um, which is what is also true with FRP. So the glass transition temperature of most epoxies are around 160, 170 degree Fahrenheit. Uh, in, in case of a fire, you'll the temperature will go above that and you'll potentially lose your FRP. So uh, for gravity load upgrades, uh, ACI uh, uh, has a check which is called the existing capacity check. So you cannot design the FRP for the entire load. So your structure or member has to have a minimum load, uh, uh, support a minimum load combination. It's about 1.1 dead plus 0.75 live load. And then you can put FRP. So the idea is that if you lose your FRP in a fire or vandalism or anything like that, your structure would not have a collapse. I mean, it will still be able to withstand a, a minimum load combination. Uh, when you talk about seismic loads, that's not really the case because the chance of you having an earthquake and fire at the same time are not that high, like two extreme events. So in seismic conditions, we are less concerned about fire, but in gravity conditions, we do the existing capacity check just to make sure that uh, even if we lose FRP, uh, you're not uh, compromised with, with respect to your structure. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I guess, uh, on the other hand, when the FRP is on fire, going through a fire event, is it off-gassing? Some bad gases, potentially, with the epoxies? So, Just out of my curiosity. No, it, it, uh, I mean... It's funny you ask that question. I'm I'm dealing with that question on two projects right now. So we have done ASTM E84 testing, uh, which is basically the off-gassing testing, and uh, we are in the lowest. So they they have three different. Uh, I think it's class A, class B, class C, uh, and this falls under class A, which is the least. Uh, this thing. So it it's not. Uh, an issue with respect to off-gassing. Um, it it falls in the minimum you know, class A, and I'm not an expert on that, but I think it's called class A with respect to its lowest uh, range okay. that, that that you come with it. So it's we've done testing for ASTM E84 uh, this for that. So, uh, so if we're going to use uh, an FRP product, are there any additional special inspections or is any any type of inspection go specifically with FRP products? Yeah, so uh, there is, and uh, you know what I like to say when I'm giving a presentation is if your FRP is not installed correctly, it's just like an ugly-looking wallpaper, right? So it's uh, you have to ensure that it's it's installed correctly. Uh, so the special inspections are required. Uh, we there are some field tests that we do for to check the bond between an installed FRP 
and the substrate. So it's just like a direct tension test. Uh, and you need a minimum 200 PSI between FRP and the concrete substrate or with masonry substrate, you just need either 200 PSI or you need a failure in your masonry substrate. Uh, also, we do some tensile testing. So they make these panels on the job site and send it to a third party lab, testing lab who do tensile tests on the coupons to ensure that the properties that they get match the properties that we publish on the data uh, data sheet. In addition, it's all, you know, your surface prep has to be correct. You need to, your surface has to be clean. Uh, your temperature has to be within 40 to for 90 degree Fahrenheit or 95 degree Fahrenheit. Uh, so all those things are just something that the special inspector would, would be observing on the job site. Yeah. How variable can the results be in the final product if it's not installed perfectly versus, you know, done exactly as it should be? Uh, a lot. So <laughs> if, if it's not installed correctly, I mean, we've seen projects where uh, we have asked the entire FRP to be taken off um, the the slab. I mean, this happened very recently on a on a project where you know it was just not installed correctly, and all the FRP had to be taken off and uh, done it again. So uh, you would. FRP is something, if it's not installed correctly, you will see bubbles uh, in, in the FRP, which indicates that you know it's not been installed correctly. You will see dry fiber if it's, again, not saturated correctly. So your results can vary significantly, which is why uh, you know a good special inspection program is required for FRP. So with, with your experience, you said you worked in the field for a few years. Um, what are the most... What are the most common questions you get from structural engineers? Um, maybe things that they're confused about when it comes to FRP. So I guess the most common question I, I used to get um, from engineers who are absolutely not familiar with FRP is, you know, FRP is, uh, we've heard, is 10 times stronger than steel. It's like this magic uh, you know, <laughs> reinforcing member that can pretty much do anything that you want it to do. Uh, so, I mean, that is obviously not true so uh, you know there are dry fiber properties and there are composite properties and if you're looking at dry fiber properties yeah it's 10 times stronger than steel but you never apply dry fiber on your on your substrate so you need to be sure that you're looking at the right properties when you're designing uh, things uh, the other question we get is how much capacity can you really increase in in a in a member uh, that again answer varies i mean we can give ballparks in in those type of situations but it really varies on your type of substrate type of application uh, and and then you know ductility is another big question that comes up like you know how is ductility addressed or how, you know when you're doing a seismic retrofit type applications uh, so those those are the most common you know special inspections is something that comes quite often uh, so, yeah, and then design-related questions, if somebody is interested in knowing more, then obviously we go into the details of design and how it's designed. With yeah. with Simpson specifically, do, do they, will they design the FRP solution for uh, a project? Yeah, so we have a design team that actually does all the FRP designs, uh, and that is a no-cost service to uh, engineering firms. So right from preliminary designs to sign and seal drawings, either before the bid, uh, before the permit phase or after the permit phase as a shop drawing, all those services are provided by Simpson. So 
uh, if a project is going for permit, we do all sign and seal drawings and submit it to the engineer of record who attach those drawings as part of their permit submittal. Um, so that's quite, uh, we do that uh, quite a bit on, you know, DSA or school or hospital type projects where they typically don't want to approve a project till they see all the FRP calculations because these are, this is obviously an essential part of the retrofit and you know it's not quite right to do it as a deferred submittal i guess so <laughs> this should be something that is that is checked beforehand so then when it when you know we talked a bit about there with the engineers confusion what about contractors what what is that interaction like what kind of questions do they have um to simpson when it comes to installing frp so I, I think uh, most of the contractors that we work with are quite savvy um, with, with FRP of what, what it can do and what it cannot do. Um, so a lot of their questions are if they if they see a design specified on the drawings, uh, they are the best people to understand whether it's actually, you know, if you can build it or if you cannot build it or there's some other way it can be designed. So a lot of our contractors give us input like, can we do it this particular way or, you know, can we add less anchors with bigger diameter anchors and things like that? Or can we add a thicker layer of FRP versus two thinner layer layers of FRP? Uh, those, those are the type of questions that come up quite a bit with contractors. Also, you know, on job sites, as you're aware, in an existing building, things are never the same as what your drawings show. Uh, so when you're on the job site, you're going to see something different and you just have to come up with details to address site specific conditions. So that's another area where we do a job walk with a contractor before the job starts to address any job specific conditions or details that need to be addressed. So, you know, for the designer, um, you know, uh, Zach and I as, as practicing engineers, what what are the times where we should think as FRP as a good solution? You know, what are like is it i've used it to strengthen a beam i've used it to put a new opening in a concrete wall is it anything reinforcing concrete like any condition or you know are there specific places it's better yeah i mean if if it's a seismic retrofit a lot of conditions i would say you could use frp like shear walls you know diaphragms slabs collectors uh, you know, column shear strengthening, column confinement. Obviously, you mentioned beams. Uh, what am I missing? A slab wall shear transfer mm -hmm. is another area that, that you can use. So all these are really good applications for FRP. Uh, obviously, they come with limitations. So, I mean, there's when you're adding FRP on a shear wall, for example, you're still governed by the 10 square root F prime CBD check. Mm -hmm. uh, so you cannot, you know, overly strengthen a wall by just putting more layers of FRP. Uh, there's this maximum to how much. I mean, you typically don't want to go more than four layers of thick FRP fabric. Uh, otherwise, it's just too much FRP. So there's, there's limits to what you can do. But within limits, I think a lot of uh, cases with seismic strengthening is a good uh, application for FRP. Uh, even for gravity, if you pass the existing capacity check that I mentioned, Again, FRP can do a lot for you uh, with strengthening beams, columns, like in you know, a vertical expansion. We did one building in Aspen area where they added two additional floors to an existing building where we strengthened the building with FRP. So, you know, th those could be good applications for, for FRP. And, you know, we are talking concrete, but masonry, brick, clay brick, you know, hollow clay tile, all those type of substrates also you can strengthen with uh, composites as well. All right. 
So the, yeah, this next part, we're going to kind of talk through the application, um, maybe com concepts as well. So the first one, um, let's look at axial strength. How does um, FRP wrap of a column, let's say, increase the load capacity of the concrete column? So, it, I mean, if you're wrapping the concrete column, it basically the FRP uh, prevents the concrete from dilating when the concrete goes under compression. So it's, it's basically preventing the con concrete from dilating and just crushing. So that's how it uh, increases the actual capacity of the column. In, in essential, you can think of it like in increasing the concrete strength. So, you know, several times engineers give us and higher F prime C, it's 4,000 PSI concrete. We want it to be 5,500, and then you can wrap the concrete and get get a higher concrete strength there. So that that would be the principle of just preventing the concrete from dilating uh, in in case of uh, compressive forces when the concrete goes in compression. Okay, so it's just added confinement. Um, added confinement, exactly. Yeah, you're, you're just adding more confinement. Okay, so I mean. In the case where it is confinement, like let's say we did have that column that you can only access three sides, mm -hmm. are we still able to add compressive strength to the concrete by wrapping just around three sides? Yeah, so we added on the fourth side, we did FRP anchors that kind of did not confine the, the bars completely, but we still added anchors through the column mm -hmm. that gained some amount of confinement. The goal on that project was that these were shear control columns, and we wanted to change its behavior from shear to flexural failure, uh, basically get ductility in the columns, and we wanted to increase the shear capacity of the columns. So uh, by doing that, we were able to change the columns from shear uh, governed columns to flexurally governed columns, and plus increase the uh, flexural strength of the uh, or shear strength of these columns. And uh, we basically shook the columns to a deformation of about 12 inches from the top. So you added quite a bit of ductility to these columns and added strength as well as changed the failure mechanism of, of that. So yeah, the, I mean, those were really good tests with some good solutions for three-side strengthening. That's, that's cool. And so just so I can get my head around this, if, if we're strengthening a column, let's say we wanted both shear and axial um, added capacity, are we doing a wrap with um, the strands running? Oh, I don't know how you would say this. Yeah. Perpendicular to the column, and then another wrap vertical. Yeah, for uh, shear, it will be all perpendicular, so means meaning horizontal, uh, yeah. where you're just like your horizontal rebar hoops, rebar for your columns. If you're increasing the flexural strength of the column, then you're adding vertical FRP oriented in a vertical direction, just like your longitudinal bars for your column. Uh, and then you'll potentially anchor it at the top and bottom, just like you would develop your steel in the foundation below or slab above. Yeah, something that, that we've already talked about, you know, because um, FRP is often used to reinforce seismic systems. Can we expect to get up to the same level of performance that we'd have with a well-detailed seismic system, you know, originally uh, with with a repair project? That's, that's a... Good question. So it's a, the answer probably would be yes and no, in, in the sense like uh, FRP is primarily used to strengthen an existing deficient structure to act as normal as possible, right? So, I mean, you're, you're adding a lot of strength, you're adding some amount of ductility, uh, 
and make it as close as possible to an original structure. Obviously, if you were to do it all over again, you would potentially put the steel and put that concrete and it would be the best case scenario. Uh, but this is close to being normal is the way I would put it. In, <laughs> in some cases, you're, you can add more strength than something that you have originally designed as well. So it's a case by case basis. Uh, there are some areas that obviously need more research, like you know beam column joints. One thing that comes in mind needs more testing, more research in that that area. So in some applications, I would say yes. In some applications, I would say you know we need more work to be done. Yeah, I, I'm curious. Uh, you know, knowing that Simpson does or is willing to do the calculations for the EOR, is do you work with engineers that will do that themselves, and do you think they're you know, as this becomes more commonplace, engineers will just be comfortable running these numbers by themselves, or is it very specific, you know, to the product? So I would, I mean, in, in the best case scenario, I would like ideally the engineers to at least know everything, how it's done. And I always like to tell the engineers that, uh, I mean, it's you guys' project. You guys are basically signing and sealing the drawings. You guys are the EOR. So it's... Uh, you need to know what's happening and how we are designing these systems. And at the end of the day, even if you don't want to design them, ask the right questions to the FRP designer, right? You know, what are you providing with the design? You know, what are the strains that you're taking? Uh, sometimes just to kind of in a competitive bid environment, you could potentially see, you know, people using higher strains or, you know, using less anchorage to, to get that project or things like that. So, mm -hmm. I would really want the engineers to be more inquisitive and you know know the design, know the concepts. Uh, there are some engineering firms who actually do their own designs. So we uh, go and we educate the engineering firms. I've given like weekly classes to an engineering firm. You know, we took shear of beams one day and we just did like a one hour lecture for shear of beams and then you know just teach them and then they are to a point now where they do their own design so a lot of engineering firms are kind of in the bay area uh, do their own designs but then some some don't and we are always there to do the design but we would like best case scenario we would like engineers to be asking questions when mm -hmm. we design it so with majority of the time connecting to an existing structure is there any sort of testing of the substrate that needs to be done to make sure it is, let's say, sufficient to be um, to have FRP, you know, attached to? Yeah. So we uh, ACI currently has a requirement of 2500 psi, suggested value of 2500 psi concrete. Um, that's where most of the FRP testing has been done. Uh, so anytime that we see concrete less than 2500 psi. Uh, we like to go on the job site and do some testing to ensure that we have the 200 psi bond strength between uh, your FRP substrate and sorry FRP and the and the concrete substrate. Uh, so that's a, that's some testing that we go and do if your concrete strength is too low. Uh, so th that's some some something to to look out for for masonry. Uh, it's typically not a problem because your masonry always ends up being the weaker substrate so you'll typically get a failure in your masonry uh, when you're designing frp on masonry structures makes sense all right um well 
We got one more question for you, uh, but you know, thank you so much for your time so far. Um, but we'll get get you out of here in time. You know, being involved in the FRP field, what do you see as sort of the the future for FRP? Will will things get stronger, or you know, w- like where what direction is the development going? So I, I see. I mean, it, it to be more uh, more and more mainstream as 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 we go by. Uh, we are, I mean, just. At Simpson, we are doing testing every single day with something with respect to FRP. Uh, you know, I just mentioned about diaphragms, you know, three-sided column strengthening. We just did testing on wood poles, splice testing with FRP. Uh, so we have a project here in, in California where, you know, your wood poles are deteriorated and we are just splicing them with FRP. So we are going to test more and more applications with FRP. We just developed a new FRP part called shear transfer bracket to transfer forces from your existing concrete to new concrete. So instead of putting dowels and drilling long dowels, you can use FRP uh, brackets like a truss-like element to do the shear transfer. So I, I would say, yeah, I mean, we are developing more things, testing more things. I mean, I'm sure other people are as well. So it's the field is increasing and I'm with more and more, you know, non-ductile building ordinances coming up in California, you know, URM ordinances coming up. I, I see more and more uh, use for FRP as we go forward. That's exciting. Well, I hope to, uh, I've used it a couple of times. I hope to get more opportunities coming up here and yeah, yeah, looking forward to just learn more about it. Sure. You know where to reach us. Okay. <laughs>